Welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. It's awesome. My name is Jeff Baker. I'm one of the pastors on staff. If this is your first Sunday with us, I want to say thanks for coming. Um, glad to have you here at New Life, right? Wow. Uh, I know that you could have picked anywhere to worship and you picked here. You may have also picked down in the venue right now. I was just down there. I barely got out of there in time to get back up here. That place was filling up fast, filling up fast down there. So I know there's a lot of people worshiping with us right now down in the venue. Um, and that's, that's incredible to see what God's doing in our church, creating more space for people to come in, right? As well as, I'm super excited to say hello to everybody that's worshiping with us live right now out in North Platte. So, wow, we've got a great church in three different locations at the exact same time, all worshiping God, and that's not where it ends. Right now, guys, we have got a, we've got a little bit of, a, of an issue that's going on at our church um, that is a good problem, all right? How many guys like good problems? I mean, problems that are good, right. All right, one of the issues is this. As you look around the main auditorium, there is plenty of room for people to fill in, all right? We got room that's on the lower level. Uh, we've got room that's in our balcony. We've got uh, some more chairs we can put out down in the venue as well, about maybe another um, you know, 50 to 75 chairs we can put out down there. And uh, so, but the problem is, is that many times people are driving in like right now, uh, anywhere between the time our service starts and now they're driving in, they're having a hard time finding a parking spot out here in our front area for our 1045 service. Uh, I've actually had people counting and watching, and I know as a fact that there was, uh, there was, since this year started, there have been Sundays where there are no parking spots out here in the front at 1045 um, for the 1045 service, all the way up to snow days where there was plenty, but on average, we're anywhere between five spots and maybe 12 spots that are open in our parking lot. That's not enough slots open People will come in, they'll drive through, especially if they're running late, and that means more, more so you get people that are maybe just coming for the first time, or people that haven't been here for a while, and they drive through, and then there's nowhere to park, they just kind of take off and they leave. Now, I know that some of you, you park out on, the, out on the road, and I appreciate that. Some of you, you park in our north parking lot, and I appreciate that. Or others of you try to park up here in the gravel. And a lot of our leaders that are here all day long, worship team members, you know, our greeters and our, our ushers, um, you know, different staff members, we, we all park outside of this main parking lot out here. But we're having a problem where a conflict where we don't have enough parking slots. We have seats for people to come in, but we don't have enough parking slots. So we're going to be working on alleviating that. And the first decision that we, we came up with that we're going to change has to do with our children's ministry. And so what I want to say to you is this. We're going to start offering our A-game children's programming in both the 9 o'clock service and the 1045 time slot. The A-game children's programming, right now many of your kids are down there if they're in kindergarten through um, sixth or fifth grade, I think it is. Yeah, kindergarten through fifth grade. If your kids are in that zone, they're down there with Pastor Eric right now getting some of the best children's ministry in the region um, with Pastor Eric, his team, and the professor that he, you know, mysteriously turns into. Kids love that stuff, right? How many, how many of you guys actually love it when Pastor Eric preaches? All right. He's my favorite. He's my favorite, all right? And I know you would rather listen to him than me, but just pretend every once in a while that I'm the professor. I do some nutty stuff too. I just don't put a coat on, all right? So and I don't have to put wear, wear glasses on, right? So um, anyways, we're going to offer that. Here's the purpose. The purpose is this. 
if there's anyone that's listening to my voice right now that attends the Kearney campus, um, we're going to invite you to help us seed more people into the 9 o'clock service. If you have family where you have kids, empower kids, I would encourage you, I would ask you, come up and talk to Eric or myself. We don't want everybody to do this, but we, we need some families that would be willing to say, I will start attending the 9 o'clock service, um, and my kids aren't going to miss out on anything. You're not going to miss out on anything. It's the exact same thing at 9 o'clock. It's just with fewer people. And we transfer some people from 1045 to our 9 o'clock. That will free up places for people to sit. And then on our, on our peak Sundays where we end up with 1,000 to more than 1,000 people on our campus, um, it will free up more places for people to come at the 1045 time slot. So I'm asking if some of you would have that entrepreneurial um, heart, you would have that church planting heart, you would have that heart that Jesus has, which what, is, what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to seek and save the lost, right? Jesus came so that all people would know him and have relationship with him. So check that out. God came so that everybody would know him. What do you think our mission is supposed to be? Same thing. So that everybody would know him. And if the church is being led with a resource in a way that's not allowing more people to get in the doors, then if we don't change it, basically what we're saying is, we're good just the way way we are. Um, You go find life someplace else. And I don't think that honors God. I think what honors God is when we keep making the slight tweaks and changes that we need to make so that more people can come in and hear the good news of Jesus and see their life transformed and changed. Let me start over. (laughs) The church exists to communicate the powerful message of Jesus so that lives can go from where they are to where God wants to take them, so that spiritual transformation can take place, so that people can become more like God. And guys, we're going to make this shift Make this little change so that we can help more people walk through our doors and find Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's the bottom line. Now you're getting it. Now I'm applauding you. Wow, okay. And you woke up. The coffee kicked in. The donut kicked in. I love that. That's why we sing those first two songs. It's so that the the, uh, caffeine and sugar can kick in, uh, just so you know. Um, Okay, so what I want you to do is prayerfully consider, are you one of the families that God might be speaking to saying, I'll make the shift to nine o'clock so that more people can find the love of Christ. All right, if that's you, please talk to Pastor Eric or talk to myself because we care about this church. We care a lot about this church. We care a lot about the mission of this church. We care a lot about the integrity that God's called us to. And so sometimes we have to make tweaks because we care a lot about it. You guys care about stuff that you're willing to do all kinds of extra stuff for. I know that some of you men, some of you guys have cars, or some of you teenagers were given a car. It doesn't look the best, but it's your car, right? And you do everything in your power to make that car sweet. Some of you guys, you guys wipe off all of the fingerprints that get on it. You wash the car every Saturday, even if it doesn't need it. Some of you, some of you teenagers, you drive cars that were so beat up and so messed up when you got it, but yet you went out and you spent your own hard-earned money and put a new cover on the seat. And you're dreaming about new tires that can go on there and even those obnoxious exhausts that are horrible, that sound ridiculous, but you're dreaming about it, right? Because it's yours and you want it to be the best. And you've got a lot of like, you're in it, man. You are sold out to that thing and you want it to be the best. I've watched some of you moms. 
You know, you, you have a child, whether it's the first one or it's the third one, and there's something inside of you that just, it just comes out of you naturally. And you love that kid. You wake up in the middle of the night, and you, with joy on your heart, you, you hug that kid. You pamper that kid. That kid throws up, pukes all over the place, and, inside, and men look at it and go, ooh. Moms look at it and go, you're so cute, Right? I mean, there's things that happen in you when you love something so much, you're willing to give it that little extra effort. You're willing to give it that extra attention to love it. You know what I'm saying? Do you have something like that in your life? Is there something that you love so much that you would be willing to give it extra special attention and care to make sure that it's taken care of and managed properly? I know that I had a Bible. still have it. It's a, it's a study Bible. Um, when we got it, it cost about $100. That was about 20 years ago. It's probably more than that now. Um, I loved this Bible. In fact, I cherished this Bible um, so much that it came in a box, and I kept it in its box for years. For years, it sat on my shelf in a box. And that's not because I didn't use it. It's when I went to use it, I would clear other things off my desk. I would open up the box, pull the Bible out, lay it there, open the pages gently so that no page gets ripped, no page gets dinged. This is not my preaching Bible that gets tossed into my my backpack or something. This was a reference study Bible, and I loved this thing. And I cherished it, and I took care of it, and I made sure that it was, you know, dusted off and that it was wiped down on the outside and that it was folded just right and everything's good put it back in its box put the lid on it put it back where it belongs in the bookcase with my other bibles every time i used it that's the way i treated it and i moved from one place to another place and that bible was in that box and it was protected it was a cherished prize of mine then I moved back here to New Life two years ago. My wife's helping me move into the office. She's unpacking the, the bags and the boxes, and she doesn't realize how important that Bible and in that box it is. And all of a sudden, I look over and I see the Bible outside of the box, and my hands get a little sweaty on the inside, right? And I'm like, ah, ah, no, the Bible's got to be in the box. It can't be taken out of the box. It only gets taken out of the box for special moments. You took it out of the box. Where's the box? I threw it away yesterday. No! For two decades, that Bible was in the box. Now the Bible's never going to be the same again. As crazy as it sounds, you all have something that you care a lot about that you're willing to give extra effort to, right? So does Jesus. Jesus cares so much about you that he meticulously takes care of your needs. Jesus cares so much about you that some might call him fanatical in his love for you. Some might call him somewhat obsessive in his attention towards you. Some, some would look at him and go, wow, you're, you're willing to do anything for them. Willing to do anything. Some would blame him that you've spoiled them. Jesus has such a compassionate, massive heart for you that he cherishes you like nothing else. And, he'll, and he just wants to meticulously you know, mold you and shape you into exactly in his mind and in his heart as the image that he has for you. Care for you like he cares for nothing else. In fact, the Bible defines this kind of character of his heart in John chapter 10 in verse 14 and 15 when it says Jesus is speaking about himself and he says that I am the what? Good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I what? Sacrifice my life for the sheep. Notice with me. 
Jesus says he's a shepherd. Now, you might not know much about shepherds, but I was just over in, in Israel, and I still saw shepherds taking sheep out on these mountainsides. One thing about a shepherd is that a shepherd has to know the sheep. He has to know how many sheep he has. He has to take care of them. He has to do a lot of things of corralling them. He has to make sure that they're being fed properly. He has to make sure that those that have got a thorn, you know, um, in the hoof, that he, he goes over and he takes the thorn out as he watches them limp. He makes sure that, you know, you've eaten enough. Now it's time to go get some water. It's nighttime. I got to make sure you're in a safe place. I got to make sure that you have protection. Uh, you know, I have to make sure I'm not leading you up and down too too much of a dangerous incline or decline. Although sometimes I have to lead you through dangerous places. But I've got my eyes on you and I'm watching you and I'm sensing your heartbeat and I'm watching your breathing and I'm making sure that all of your needs are being dealt with and taken care of like a shepherd would do for sheep. One of the things about a shepherd that you know has really come to life for me lately is that the shepherd has to works for a master. The master owns the sheep. The shepherd is the liaison or the mediator, the go-between from the master and his desire for his sheep. And then the shepherd goes and fulfills that into the sheep. Just like Jesus says, I know my father, and the father, what? Knows me. Jesus is the mediator between the Father, who it, you are owned by the Father, the King of the kingdom. He created you. He purposed you. Jesus is the shepherd. He is the one who knows the heart of the Father and wants to instill the heart of the Father. He wants to instill the desires of the Father into you. His whole mission is to open your eyes up so that you can see the Father. So that you and me one day might spend eternity with God in heaven, in his kingdom, face to face with the creator of all things. Jesus, he has to both know the heart of the father and instill it into the sheep. But the shepherd also has to be attentive to the sheep and make sure all their needs are being taken care of. So this mediator in between, constantly dealing with these two issues. And that the shepherd has to be trusted because the master will send the, the shepherd with the sheep miles off at times, days journey away. And the shepherd has to be entrusted to make sure that all the needs of the sheep are taken care of because there isn't anywhere else to go. There isn't any other resource to, to pull from. And Jesus is saying, I know him and he knows me. In fact, let me tell you how trusted I am I'm willing to sacrifice my life for the sheep. Jesus here is prophesying about the future. I'm going to sacrifice my life. I'm going to give my life on the cross and I'm going to rise again. And you and me now look at that moment and we can see, Jesus, you are the ultimate shepherd. Because if the wolves were to come and if the bears were to come or the lions were to come, you would lay your life down to make sure that the sheep were protected. And he did it. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. In light of that, in light of knowing that, what I want you to do with me is I want you to read with me our key passage today. Psalms 23. Would you please read along with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. 
Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. How many of you guys have known that passage? How many of you guys kind of grew up hearing that passage? David, in our essentials, we've read a little bit about David. David, he's the writer of this psalm. And from a historical perspective, what our, what our greatest understanding, our, our most accurate interpretation of this psalm is the understanding that David potentially wrote this while now in what we would call modern-day Jordan, while, while David was fleeing to get away from his son Absalom, who had really created a mutiny to overthrow his leadership and to rise up and to kick his dad out of authority and become the king. And David is in this place being distant from Jerusalem. He's not the king any longer. He's been outcast. He's sitting out there, um, not ruling like God's called him to. And it's in that moment that he begins to write and he begins to talk about something that he knows very intimately because David at one point, when we first run into David, David is the shepherd. This illustration is something that's in his blood. It's in his heart. It's in his mind. And the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit's coming to him saying, let me remind you of who I am, and I'm going to take you back to something you really know, and I'm going to use that picture to overlay my heart so that you can really know who I am in this very dark, difficult moment that you find yourself. So if you want to understand this passage, we've got to jump from the moment that it's written, um, potentially written back about nine years and fill in the story. So nine years before this moment of David running from his own son, Absalom, um, Absalom has, uh, has discovered that his, his uh, sister, Tamar, has been raped by one of David's other sons from a different mother, Amon. And this is burning inside of Absalom. All the way to the point where Absalom can't get rid of it, he decides, I'm going to set up this moment of weakness for Amon where I'm going to strike him down and I'm going to kill him. So he sets this moment up. Um, Amon drinks too much. He says, when Amon drinks too much and he gets to a point of being drunk, then we're going to attack him, we're going to kill him. And that's exactly what Absalom does to uh, avenge the raping of his own sister. Absalom, realizing that now he has violated his father and he's probably going to get hunted down, he flees. And for the next few years, he has fled out into the wilderness. There is no interaction between the two of them. David's heart is broken over the fact that he's lost his son, Amon. And this time period goes by, about three years. And at the end of that time period, David gets challenged with, you know, why don't you reach out to Absalom? Why don't you at least start to rekindle the relationship just do something. You can't just sit here and let this strain happen between the two of you. You've got to do something. And so he decides, being David, okay, we'll send a messenger to Absalom, tell him he's welcome to come back. He can live in his old house. And that's about all he promises him. Absalom decides to take him up on it. He moves back into his old house, and that's where he lives. But listen to this. 
David is not willing to totally forgive. So for the next two years, Absalom lives in the city, in his old house, but he's never welcomed into the palace. David doesn't talk to him. David doesn't want to see him. David tells him, you're not welcome to come see me. So Absalom's birthday comes, no birthday gift. David's birthday comes, no birthday gift sent that way. You know, there is no cordial interaction. There is no even like a shake of the hand, a look of the eye. You know, none of it, just quietness. Maybe you've had those moments happen in your family where someone's done something to another person, a brother or a sister or a niece or a nephew or an aunt or an uncle, and then all of a sudden someone comes up with that genius idea. Well, I'll tell you how we're going to handle this. We're never going to talk to that person again. And then Thanksgivings get weird. Christmas gets weird. Right? Been in those moments? That's the moment. At the end of the two years, David's heart is being dealt with. David offers forgiveness to Absalom. Absalom receives the forgiveness, but uses now his new place of identity and his new authority that came with the restored relationship not to work on behalf of his dad, not to make his dad look better, but to create four years of building a mutiny against his father. The Bible literally says that Absalom would go and he would stand in line where everyone that had a case that would be brought before the king, he would stand in that line where not everybody got their case brought before the king, and he would listen to their stories, he would have compassion on them, and he would tell them how, yeah, your story, yeah, you've got a legitimate story. I'll tell you what, man, you could probably win this argument. If I was the king, I'll tell you what I would do. I would make sure your story gets heard and that you would win. And when they would try to bow down to him, the Bible says he would really reach out to them, pick them up, and guess what he would do? He would embrace them. And Absalom was going around, and he was telling everybody, like, man, if I was the king, you would be my worship leader. If I was the king, you would be my accountant. If I was the king, you would be the governor of this area. If I was the king, you would rule this. I'll tell you what, you know these things David's doing? Man, we could do those things a lot better. And under the surface, he's stirring this mutiny, winning people over to himself until four years have gone by. And he feels like, he feels like his mid-20 mindset, by the way. David, in his mid-50s, upper 50s, this young 25, 26-year-old Absalom has got this idea that I'm smarter than David, I'm better than David, and doggone it, I'm, I just look good too. It's my time. This is my time. So he goes out to give this sacrifice, and he's set up in all these communities. When you hear the horn blow, when the horn blows where I I give it, when I give the command, and that blows to the next community that blows their horn, and the next one blows their horn, and when you hear the horns blow, all of you secret spies that are in the land, I want you to get out on the streets, and I want you to run through the streets and say, Absalom is the king! Absalom is the king! Absalom is the king! And the horns blow and the people go out into the streets and it's the first act of social media in the Bible. One tweet went out and a flash mob happened. It was amazing. It was amazing how it worked. It's the first act of social media and now we use smartphones to do it. And all the people are shouting and chanting and David hears this. And I want you to notice something about David very quickly. David hears it instantaneously doesn't hesitate doesn't rationalize it doesn't try to figure it all out he goes that's from absalom guys let's get all of our people together let's get out of here absalom will kill us we're going to save our own lives see that tells you something david kind of knew something wasn't right but he couldn't quite put his finger on it 
And when this act goes out of mutiny, David runs with his men to preserve his men to fight for another day. David runs out into modern-day Jordan, and it's in this place that Absalom, shortly after he gets in power, which we believe that maybe he was only in power for somewhere in the course of about 12 months uh, or shorter, that during that time he rallies the troops and he sends them out to go hunt down his dad because he wants his dad's head on a platter. He wants his dad dead. Why? He wants to be the king. And he has to take out his dad to do it. David hears about this. He takes his men and says, guys, we have to defend ourselves. And they defend themselves. And in the act of that battle, Absalom loses his life. David becomes king again. This happens over about nine years. But it's in this hellish moment for David that he pins these words that you find in Psalms 23. And here's some essential truths that you have to take from it. Here's the building blocks that have to go into your life. The first one is this. We know that the shepherd is Jesus, so Jesus provides. Look with me in Psalms 23. Look at verses 1, and then going into 2, it says that the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need, and he lets me rest in green meadows. The first thing that you and me have to realize, first essential truth out of Psalms 23, is that Jesus provides all of your needs. That's different than your wants. David, he knows the needs that a shepherd provides because he once was one. And he cherishes the the opportunity in this difficult spot that he finds him in to realize that I can't provide for all my needs, but you can, God. When you find yourself in those difficult spots... When you find yourself with, the, with an enemy that's wanting to crush you, with a, an adversary who's wanting to take you out, with people that seem like they're against you, when the world feels like it's against you, when your finances feel like they're against you, when your health feels like it's against you, what you need to realize is that Jesus, the good shepherd, he knows all of your needs already. What we do is we get wants turned into needs. And when you get wants turned into needs, then you're setting yourself up for failure. You're literally setting yourself up for failure. That's not where you want to go. We have to come back to this place where we recognize he knows all of our needs already. That's what a good shepherd does. The other thing of this passage is that it says that he, he leads us to a place where we rest in green meadows. Now, some of your Bibles... They might say things like, you know, that he makes me, what, lie down in green pastures. Anybody have a Bible that says something like that? That he makes me lie down in green pastures? You know, here's the deal. The good shepherd takes you to a place where he causes you to rest or he forces you to lie down. And we don't do that very well as humans. We don't want to rest. We don't want to stop. We don't want to like slow our pace down. We just want to keep on running, even if we're running to destruction. And the good shepherd realizes, you know what you're doing? You're running to destruction. Let me slow you down. Let me take you to a green meadow. Now, listen, David, he's in, he's in a place where he's running, right? It could be a place where you consider to be a desert. It could be a place where you consider to be desolate. It could be any of those kind of places. And what David's recognizing is, God, no matter where I am, you can turn it into a green meadow. So one of the things you've got to come to a grip with today is 
no matter what season you're in in life, God has the ability to take that season and turn it into a green meadow where you fed from it, where you're nourished from it, where you gain from it all that God has for you. That's what David's noticing in this difficult time. God, even the difficult moments, you turn them into green meadows and you cause me to rest. You make me lie down. And guys, sometimes we don't like it when God makes us lie down. We don't like it when God puts a stop to our tracks, changes our course, halts our so-called momentum. We don't like that sometimes. But that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd says, we're not moving from this spot. We're staying right here. Oh, yeah, but it's better over there. God, come on. I mean, look at, look across the stream. Look how amazing it is over there. And he goes, no, we're staying right here. You got to find, you got to find comfort in that. You, you have to be like David and go, it's okay. I can stay in this place. You ever, you ever had kids and had to put them in timeout? Did they like it? Was it, necessi- was it necessary for them? Was it important? There's some kids that need to be put in timeout. At the right moment, at the right time. And they might cry about it. They might whine about it. They might get the last little pout face about it. But in your heart, you know it's best for them, right? And to an extreme on this point, sometimes God puts you in time out. Sometimes God puts you in time out. And he causes you, he makes you lie down in green pastures. It's okay. You ever had a teenager and you had to look at him and tell him, no, you can't do that? And when you did it, like all teenagers would do, they looked back and they responded to you and they said, well, mom and dad, if that's what you believe is best, then absolutely, I'll accept your no. (laughs) Right? Is that what they did? No, of course not. It's not what they did. Nobody likes to be told no, but sometimes God tells you no. He makes you lie down. Because what you're not recognizing is where you're at is a green pasture, and it's exactly what you need. Don't fight against when God tells you no. So a good thing to do is to discern. Discern what your wants are from your needs. That's something you've got to look at. Discern your wants from your needs. And if you have a hard time with that, I encourage you to stop and ask Jesus. Jesus, help me to see where I'm taking wants and I'm turning them into needs. He'll show you. Because that's what a good shepherd does. So that you stop drooling and lusting after the things that he's not going to provide for, which are setting you up for destruction. Here's another thing to do. When you do have a legitimate need, instead of just instantaneously knee-jerk reacting and asking God to meet the need, think about first maybe thanking God for the need that he's going to meet. Because he's the good shepherd. He already knows all your needs. Think about thanking him. Thank you, Jesus, that you have the ability to take care of that heat bill. Thank you, Jesus, that you have the ability to heal that relationship that I'm, that I'm wrestling with with my, my kid. Thank you, Jesus. Because he knows the needs, and a shepherd wants to meet the needs at the right time. Thank him for that because that's his heart. Essential truth number one. Essential truth number two is this, that Jesus restores Take a look at this passage as it continues to read in Psalms 23. It says that he, we know that that shepherd is Jesus. Jesus leads me beside what? Peaceful streams and he renews my what? My strength. The peaceful stream. What is the peaceful stream? Some of your your versions of your Bible say quiet waters. 
Or others might say, he leads me beside still waters. Tell me this, have you ever had an opportunity to go out to like a lake on a rare Nebraska evening when the wind's not blowing? Sit next to that lake as the sun is setting and the sky kind of turns that orangish hue with the purple colors and the clouds reflect, you know, the sun as it's setting. You ever sat there in the peacefulness and you looked across that lake and there's no boats on it and there's no crying, screaming kids. It's a peaceful place. And you're looking at this lake, right? And you're staring at it. And you can't take your eyes off of it. And you're just... Your breathing changes. It's like problems of life and issues that kind of drift into the background, right? And here, here you are. You're just staring at it, and all of a sudden, somebody comes out, and they tap you on the shoulder, and they're going, what are you doing out here? It's midnight. <laughs> you just lost track of time. Jesus leads us to these peaceful, still moments. Why? Because we need moments of reflection, We need moments of solitude. We need those moments. Why? It's in those moments that Jesus can speak most clearly to you. Some of us are just like myself. Go, 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 go. Faster I go, the happier you are. Faster I go, the more content I am. It feels like sometimes. And Jesus is going, no, a good shepherd knows i got to slow you down. Let's sit beside these still waters. Let's go into a time of reflection. Let's go into a time where I can speak to you. Why? The very next words he says, because he wants to what? He wants to renew your what? Your strength. You know what what he's meaning here by renewing your strength? He's wanting to do what the point is. He's wanting to restore you. It literally means he wants to turn you from where you've been going, turn you back, get your eyes focused on what's most important. This is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament principle that transforms and changes our lives, and it's called repentance. Jesus leads us to reflection, solitude, this quiet moment where he speaks to us, and he wants to renew our strength. He wants to bring us to a place of repentance. Why? How does repentance renew your strength? Because here you are, here God is, sin separates you from God. What's going to renew your strength? When repentance comes, sin dissolves, and you come close to the shepherd again. And you don't come into worship thinking guilt and shame. That, re- that will renew your strength when guilt and shame gets, you know, crucified. When, you know, you're in, your assumptions of God, when they're wrong, and you think that God is angry and bitter and resentful towards you, and that you've evidently ran out of all God of God's grace. And when those messed up beliefs get transformed, you're, you're renewing your strength because you get close to the shepherd. Have you ever seen a picture, a tranquil picture of the shepherd holding a sheep before? That's where he wants to bring you. He doesn't want you to be out there on the edges. He wants to bring you in close where he holds you, where he wraps his arms around you. That moment where he's restoring your strength. I remember when I went on a prayer retreat one time and God led me up on top of this mountain and I have my Bible and I have my iPod and the iPods go in and I'm worshiping up there. My heart's being moved and then all of a sudden the song comes on and the words say, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. 
And my eyes fill with tears and I just begin to weep. What happened? God took me to the peaceful stream. He spoke to my heart. And it was in that moment that there was a bond that was made that grew me closer to him. One thing I know, one thing I know, is that peaceful streams don't have to always involve physical water. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Peaceful streams can be on top of the mountain. Peaceful streams can be in your home. Peaceful streams can be in this place, this morning, right now. He might be leading you to a peaceful stream, and all you can think about is where you're going to eat lunch. Give me the next big green sheep, or give me the next big green bush. That's what I want. More bush. I want to eat more bush. More bush. I want to climb the next mountain, the next mountain. I want to do the next thing. Let's get to the next thing. I got things to do, things to get, places to go. And he's going, whoa. It's about the peaceful stream today. It's about the peaceful stream. And that's where Jesus renews you and gives you a fresh vision of himself. And it's in that place that your attitude is changed, that your heart is changed, and that your attention gets focused more on him. Is that where he's leading you today? Let me tell you another essential truth. Essential truth number three. Jesus guides. Take a look at this. It says that he, Jesus, guides me along right paths, right? Bringing honor to whose name? His name. The right path. You know what that is? That's he's leading you to righteousness. Leading you to righteousness. So look at what the shepherd does. Leads you to still streams, quiets you down, renews your strength. He leads you to repentance, and then he doesn't just toss you out there to the wolves. He goes, I'm going to help you live right before me. That's my mission. That's my job. And David, he finds this while he's in this distant place. He finds it because when he hears about Absalom and his army coming against him, David says, we've got to defend ourselves, guys. But guess what David says to his army? He says, treat Absalom gently. Treat him gently? He's the guy that, he turned over the kingdom. He ran you out. He's, he's the kid of mutiny. I mean, look at this 20-some-year-old punk. This guy's wanting to kill you. He wants your head on a platter. And you say, treat him gently? He leads me on the right paths. What? What right path is Jesus trying to lead you on today that you're refusing? He's trying to lead you down a path of righteousness, and you might be facing something difficult, but that's what he wants to do. That's what Jesus, that's what the shepherd's job is, is to lead you to right living and to lead you to right living in a way that honors him and that glorifies him and that brings praise to his name. Jesus is like the teacher who does the best to teach you and to train you and to equip you with everything, but then then says this, when we take the quiz, I'm like an open book. You want to ask me a question? I'll help answer it. You want to look for that answer in the book? I'll help you find the answer in my book. It's like a teacher that does the best that he can and then says, I'm the open book for you. Wow, wouldn't that be awesome to know that at the end of that, you can, you can look at the teacher and go, I'm going to ask you a question, I'm going to... You tap into that resource? That's what Jesus said when he goes, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to help you accomplish the work that I've called you to do. I will, sweet, I will speak to you with sweet conviction 
And that sweet conviction, it will, if you listen to it, it will lead you down the right path. My friends, listen, for myself and for you. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and when he convicts, take action and follow his voice. Because it's the shepherd trying to lead you down the right path. I've got a little competition today. But I'm doing my best. Essential truth, number four. Essential truth, number four. Jesus protects. Jesus protects. Take a look at verse four. Even when I walk through what? The darkest valley. I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they what? They protect and they comfort me. Jesus knows when you're facing dark moments. Don't ever think he's abandoned you because life got dark. Don't ever think that he's given up on you because the, the, the valley you're walking through seems so daunting and so difficult. Why would you ever lead me here? He's the shepherd. He's never left you. He didn't tell you to walk into the darkness and then stand over in the light. That's not what a shepherd does. A shepherd might lead you through the dark moments, but he's still right there with you. And he goes, I'm going to use my rod. You know what a shepherd's rod is? A shepherd's rod's different than his staff. You see the shepherd's staff with the nice little, you know, shepherd's hook where you see it wrapping around the neck and pulling it, you know, pulling it and, you know, keeping you kind of going where you need to. The rod, the rod's different. On one end of the rod, it's got a nice little pointy part to it. And that's not just for walking stick. That's to prod you and me. I know you don't want to think of God that way, but that's what he does. And he comes along and he takes the pointy end and he goes, boink. And you're like, ow, that hurt. God, stop doing that. I'm going to tell my mom. We whine about it, right? We whine about it. But guess what he pokes you for? To protect you, to keep you from danger. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. On the other end of the rod is this fork end. The fork end is used when he sees something like a snake who could slither up and take you out. He takes the fork end and he puts it down on the head of the snake. Now, pause for a moment. Isn't it? interesting that the shepherd uses a rod and a staff and one end keeps the snake away because when you go all the way back to the beginning of the bible in genesis who's portrayed as the snake jesus his death and his resurrection on the cross carries the rod with the forked end and he sticks it into the head of the snake and he goes no you're not going to go that far and take him down Jesus is working on your behalf and my behalf. And sometimes we want to go play with the snakes and not get bit. It doesn't work that way. You go and you play with the sin, it's going to bite you. You go and you play with a lifestyle that's going to bring harm to you. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. It might not happen the first week, the first month, the first few years. Sooner or later, that wrong belief is going to come back and it's going to bite you and it's going to take you down. Jesus is going, I'm protecting you from that. You don't even see it coming sometimes. I protected you from more things than you even saw coming. Why? Because I'm the good shepherd. You follow me, and I'm working on your behalf in ways you don't even see. I remember one day, we were standing next to a road, and we had some parked cars there. We were going to cross the road, and all of a sudden, one of my kids, they started jetting out like they're just going to run across the road. They can't see over the cars. I can see over the cars, and I can see that there are other cars that are coming. So I reach out my hand, and I grab them by anything I can hang on to at that moment. You tracking with me? Any, right, hair, 
That sounds like you might have had that experience happen before. Shoulder, shirt, neck, arm, hand, whatever you got to do, you're going to, I grab them and I pull them back. And they started crying. Like, oh man, daddy, that was mean. Mommy, daddy, grab me. They had no idea. If I didn't grab them, they'd be dead in the road. And sometimes, with that rod, he has to reach out and grab you. And he changes your course. Something happens. What you thought was for harm, it was for an amazing good. Why? Because he is the shepherd. That's where, for adults, it comes to your blind spots. Those things you cannot see. And all of a sudden, God sends a friend, like the pokey end of a rod, and they address the blind spot of your life. And the thing that you've never seen and you don't want to admit, now you have to humble yourself. And it doesn't feel good when people point out your blind spots. But God's poking you through others, life group leaders, you know, people that love you, friends that are here that, you know, you can trust and love God. And they poke you sometimes in those blind spots. It doesn't feel good. But God's using that to protect you, even from yourself at times. That's the leading of the Holy Spirit. So as we wrap up today, what type of a sheep are you? What kind of a follower of the shepherd are you? Are you one that just, man, you long to stay close, right? You long to stay close, and you sense that closeness with the shepherd. Or are you one that's prone to wander off? It's kind of all of a sudden, I mean, you're just off. I mean, you're, you're, you purpose in your heart to wander off. You convince yourself that if I go this, act, this way, it's going to be better for me. I'm going to leave the sheep. I'm going to leave the shepherd. I'm wandering off and doing my own thing. And you wonder why destruction and harm and failure comes. Or maybe you're one that just gets distracted. Like the whole herd's moving this way, and then you go, this is as far as I'm going to go. I will not change. I've got my focus. I've got my attention. I'm comfortable you get distracted in even that while the whole group is moving on. Or you just are going along and you get those squirrel moments. Like, squirrel, and here you are. And you're over here thinking about whatever and you're off in Nana land. You just get distracted. Maybe you're the kind of sheep that you constantly find yourself surrounded by the wolves. And you keep finding yourself surrounded by the wolves. You get surrounded by the wolves and then you yell out, Shepherd, Jesus, or whatever. I don't do a very good sheep. But you yell, you yell that out, and the shepherd comes and he drives the wolves away just with his presence and with the sound of his voice. He drives the wolves away, and you get close for a season, and then all of a sudden you find yourself surrounded by the wolves again. And you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What type of a sheep are you to the good shepherd? I know one thing about the shepherd, that he wants to bring you close to himself, and he wants to wrap his arms around you, and he wants to do that every single day. Look how the psalm ends. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Who was pursuing him? Absalom. He's being pursued for his own death. He writes... In the midst of all of that, I know one thing is true. 
Your unfailing love and your goodness are going to pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Regardless of what happens to me on this earth, I'm living for a greater hope. That's, that's the shepherd. The shepherd's pursuing you today. And he's going, I don't care if you're a wanderer, one that gets distracted, you keep finding yourself among the wolves, or if you think that you're staying close but you're not, I'm here today to bring you close to me. That's what the good shepherd wants to do. So today, in our time of response, in our time of worship, your move is, what is the shepherd saying to you? What's he saying? How's he wanting to get you closer to himself? And then you make that move to Christ today. That's, that's the move. Psalms 23. Let's stand and let's pray. God, thank you that Jesus became our good shepherd. Thank you that Jesus, he, he provides for our needs. He restores us. He guides us. He protects us. There's a whole host of things, but Psalms 23 at least shows us those four as a minimum. Lord, I'm overwhelmed at times with how much you continue to pursue me, how you never stop pursuing me, how you never give up wanting me to be close to you, how you never give up on calling me as I drift away, as I get out on the fringe. As I start doing my own thing and how, how, you, how you remind me in your own subtle, beautiful, precious way to come close to you. You've never stopped pursuing us. You've never stopped seeking closeness with us. And you know our need at this very moment. You know our need of you. And you're willing to meet that need our need of you, our need to be close to you, our need to be renewed in our strength, our need to sit beside the still waters, our need to see you as the shepherd, as our Lord and as our leader. Bring us to that place, that humbled place of surrender today where we could just quietly kneel down before you and find rest in the green meadow. In Jesus' name, amen.